Father, we do come and we worship you and we celebrate our salvation in Jesus Christ, our Lord. We thank you, O oh God, that uh, you not only told us you love us, you showed us you love us, you demonstrated your love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Lord, thank you. Thank you, thank you that through our Savior, Jesus Christ, we have a relationship. We have unity. We have fellowship. We have life in you. We thank you. We come to worship you. We pray right now that you would open our hearts and minds, our understanding to exactly what you're trying to do in our lives. May we lay down all resistance and prepare our hearts to meet you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, you've probably been asked this numerous times, and uh, I have already been today, and that, the question is, are you ready for Christmas? And so uh, this is a, a question that goes around a lot this time of year. And that question, um, you kind of know what to get depending on who you ask. And so if you ask a child, man, they're always ready for Christmas. January 26th, they're ready for next Christmas. I mean, December 26th, they're ready for next, next Christmas. If you ask a, a, a mom, well, that question means, well, have you got all the gifts bought? Have you got them wrapped? Have you got the food bought? Do you know who's doing what, when? And then if you ask a dad... They usually don't know if they're ready. They hadn't asked her yet. And so have all the, are all the honeydews done? And so uh, it, it's, it's a good question, except for uh, uh, I, I hate it when I get this answer. Well, I'm ready for it to be over with. And that saddens me. I hate that. I, I, don't, I don't want that. And, and, and here's the reason why. Why would someone ever say that? Well, Sometimes it comes from a mom because she knows that all the cooking and the cleaning depends on her and she don't get any help and she's frustrated and frazzled and wore out and, and so you can kind of understand why she would say that. Sometimes it comes from those who would, would say, well, I'm expecting bad things to happen. You know, the fact of the matter is what you expect, you often experience. And so if you're expecting uh, conflict in the family, if you're expecting uh, all of this stuff, then, then that might be, if that's what you're looking for, that might be exactly what you find. And so uh, this morning, uh, I want to ask ourselves, are you ready? Brucey, could you, could you turn the air on? It's on heat, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm done preaching one of these things. I'm warm, brother. So uh, we, we want to ask ourselves, are you ready? Well, what does that mean, ready? It means prepared Prepared? Have you prepared? So we get it when we ask mom if she's ready and she says, well, almost, almost. I'm, I'm almost ready because what she's saying is I've almost got everything prepared. But uh, if you ask a child, they're already prepared because what are you asking them? How's your heart? You're really asking, are you? I've never asked a child, you ready for Christmas? And they say, well, I'm not certain that I'm emotionally prepared for this. <laughs> No, they're, they're always ready. They're always, why? Because for a child, uh, I'm ready to get some new cool stuff. Give me something plastic. That's what I want. Yeah, give me something, something fun and good. And so they're always ready. So I want to look at a few verses of scripture about preparing your heart. The Bible says a lot about preparing your heart. And uh, there are a few verses that I'm just going to breeze through real quick. Uh, after Solomon died, uh, he had... Uh, uh, he had a son named Rehoboam, 
And the scripture says in 2 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 14, and he did evil because he did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. There's a lot in this heart preparation business, but, but uh, Rehoboam did not prepare his heart. Ezra, however, the priest, Ezra, in the book of Ezra, chapter 7, verse 10, says, Ezra prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. It's good to prepare your heart. And, and so we're going to look at what it is to prepare. So I want you to look with me in Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1, verse 17. There's a person in the Bible that was prophesied about many, many, many years before he actually came. And even in Isaiah and book of Malachi, in fact, the last words you hear from God in the Old Testament tells you about this man who is going to come and prepare the way for the Messiah. What is it to prepare the way? And you're going to see John the Baptist do that. And so here in Luke chapter 1, verse 17, it's speaking of John the Baptist. Actually, let's back up to verse 16. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him, Jesus. He, John will go before Jesus or the Messiah, in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. Now catch this, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So there's been two words that I've used up to this point, and that's the word ready and prepared. If, if you're just ready emotionally, that's one thing, but have you made preparations? Have you made preparations? And so if you flip over to chapter 3 of the book of Luke, we see John the Baptist uh, helping the people prepare their hearts for the Lord. And, and when we see it, there, it's not just a, an emotional, as we talk about the heart, it's not just an emotional preparation. It is also, he is asking them to, to allow their lives to live in such a manner that they are prepared for the Lord. Now, you have to understand John a little bit, though. John's a little rough. I like John. Uh, he sounds like my kind of people. You know, John just, uh, I can just picture John. And in my imagination, he looks like Grizzly Adams. And uh, if, you don't, if you didn't grow up in the 80s, you don't, might, might not even know who he is. But Grizzly Adams, he just lived out in the wilderness. And, and John lived out in the wilderness. And, and yet, John probably had, he, he, you might have smelt him before you seen him. John was He's pretty rough, but, but not only was he rough looking and maybe even rough smelling, he's rough talking. And so we see it here in chapter three. It tells of the timeline of when John appears, verse one, now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, that's the Roman emperor, Pontius, Pontius Pilate, that's the Roman governor, Herod, that's the Jewish uh, uh, king figure, Tetrarch, here's one of four, of Galilee, his brother Philip, the other king figure, Tetrarch, and on, this stuff might not mean anything to you. So let's jump down to verse 2. While Annas and Caiaphas were high priests, it's giving you the timeline of when all of these things happened. In other words, what is he saying? This is provable by history. Every bit of the Bible is. Anytime someone uh, thinks that the Bible is, is uh, fictitious or uh, it's, it's wrong, they try and disprove it. All they keep doing is proving it over and over and over again. This is the Word of God. Amen. Amen. Uh, these guys were priests. Verse 3, uh, 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 verse 2, the Word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. 
as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah, the prophet saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. What's that next word? Say that one more time. Prepare. Prepare. So what we're seeing here is, is actually language that is used when a, when a king is coming into a region and he's coming to look over all of that which is under his, his, his rule. And so if you go to uh, Deep East Texas, Alto region, and that area, you, you might see a sign every now and then that says uh, Camino Real. And that means in Spanish, the way of the king. And that means previously, and when, 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 when uh, Mexico was all, all the way up into Texas, they would make a road, they would make a pathway so that when the king was to come into the region, there was a way already prepared for him. And John the Baptist was exactly that for the Messiah, Jesus Christ. He was one who was coming to prepare, but he wasn't a, he wasn't a highway engineer. He wasn't, a, he wasn't a, a, a construction guy fixing roads. He was fixing the roads to people's hearts. Amen. So when I look at this passage of scripture, again, I'm an 80s child, but I hear Dukes of Hazard theme going on in my head. Straighten the curves and flatten the heels. Because look at what he says. Uh, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough was smooth and just a good old boy. But anyway, and all the flesh shall see the salvation of God. Because he's prepared them for it. Everyone whose heart was prepared to see God saw God. Everyone who was looking for the Messiah met the Messiah. And that's the way God works. If you seek the Lord, the Bible tells us, he promises us, if you seek him, you will find him. Amen. Amen. That's the goodness of our God. I, I've had people give me all kinds of scenarios and, and what about the, the deep, dark jungles of whatever. And what about, I said, if they're seeking God, they'll find him. That's all. I know that's the word of God. I know that he is always true to his word. If they're seeking the Lord, they will find him. And so John is trying to prepare them. I need you to seek the Lord. I need you to seek the Lord. Get your hearts ready. And they say, how do we do that, John? Verse 7, then he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, brood of vipers. Well, that's a good, nice, fun sermon that's going to really get them encouraged. And <laughs> He's talking to the Pharisees. We know because Jesus calls them the same thing. He, he's talking to these who are coming, and yet in their religion, in their religion, they think that they've got all they need of God. They don't need any more. They don't need anything new. Yeah, they're looking for a Messiah, but he will first come in a way that they have determined that he will come. And he says, John is calling them out. He's calling them out. Brood of vipers, you, you, you what a snakes. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore... Verse 8, he's telling them how to prepare. Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. So he says, it's not, in, it's not in your religion and it's not in your race. These were Jewish people who practiced Judaism. And, and, and so just know this, it's not in your family tree. You might say, well, my daddy was a deacon and, 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 and my grandpappy was a, was a preacher. And let me tell you, God has no grandchildren. That doesn't get you into the glory. Amen. God don't have grandchildren. It's not, you can't ride on your family's coattails into heaven. It's your relationship. 
This is what John the Baptist is saying. No, I'm not asking about your, your family pedigree. I'm asking, I'm telling you need a relationship with the Messiah. You need to get your heart ready because the kingdom, how he says it in Matthew, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Amen. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Are you experiencing it? If not, let me ask you, were you expecting it? Because if you ain't experiencing it, I have to wonder if you were even expecting it. Because faith is expectation. Not only is faith expectation, faith is preparation. Preparations. As you've always heard it, heard, heard it said, probably, if you're praying for rain, bring an umbrella. Faith is preparation. Expecting God to do what he said he was going to do. How are you hearing from the Lord? Do you know what he wants to do in your life? Are you expecting him to do that? So he says in verse 8, bear fruits worthy of repentance. Verse 9, and even now, he gets a little harsher by the way. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. What is he saying? Judgment's coming. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So the people asked him, saying, what shall we do then? They're, they're concerned. People say, you shouldn't preach about hell. You shouldn't scare people uh, into salvation. Well, um, if that's how you got there, then all you, want, all you care about is that you got there. <laughs> John is preaching judgment. He says, God will hold you accountable to what you have known and done. And that has them concerned. They say, okay, then what, what next? What do we do then? And so he says, basically, do right. Do right. Start living as if God might walk up on you at any moment. Because the Messiah was on the earth at that time and pretty soon walks up on John and his disciples. And, as, and in, my, in my visual imagination, I can just see Jesus strolling over the hill while John is down there baptizing in that old muddy Jordan River where I, I did some baptizing. And, and he was down there baptizing and here comes the Messiah over the hill. And the spirit that already leapt in, in John when, when he was a tiny baby in his mother's womb leaps in him once again as he sees the Messiah. And he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Amen. And then he, then he says, we have been preparing the way, look to him. And so he is pointing people to Jesus. And so here he says, you need to, you need to do good, basically. Bear fruits worthy of repentance. And, and he goes into what these look like. Verse 11, he answered and said to them, he who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. And he who has food, let him do, do likewise. What is he saying? Be generous. Be generous, be caring to other people. Verse 12, then the tax collectors also came to be baptized. And he said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than what is appointed for you. Do right. Quit stealing. See, a tax collector, there's another name for tax collectors all through the New Testament. It's tax collectors and sinners. <laughs> and he said, John the Baptist says, uh, quit ripping people off and do good. Verse 13, he said to them, collect no more what's appointed for you. Verse 14, likewise, the soldiers asked him, saying, and what shall we do? So he said to them, do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely and be content with your wages. Now, as the people were in, what? what's the next word? The people were in expectation. That's what I thought it was. Uh, and re all reasoned in their hearts about John 
Whether he was the Christ or not, John answered and said to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to loose, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So the, in other words, he said, when, when people start looking at your good works and, and start listening to your good words, he says, don't you, don't you take any credit. You point to Jesus. Because that's what John did. He, he, he pointed to Jesus. And then he goes back to this judgment stuff. Verse 17, his winnowing fan is in his hand and will thoroughly clean out the threshing floor and gather the wheat into its barn. Let me explain this to you. This is not stuff we do in East Texas. But I've been to Israel and we've worked on the threshing floor of an ancient village and you have a, you have a little donkey. I got to do this. This is very cool. And, and you got this little donkey and it's dragging a, a board. You got, you got all the wheat in there and you have a your winnowing fork. It's like a pitchfork. And, 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 and you, you got the little donkey and we were, I'm, I'm standing on this board that's got uh, these holes with it that rocks are stuck in the holes. It's just like, it's just crushing. It's just crushing stuff and splitting and separating. And I'm riding this donkey around. And then you, then you take a, a winnowing fork and you throw it up in the wind and, and you're getting rid of all the, the grass part of the wheat. Everybody with me? Then once you got all the grass part of the wheat, you have, you have the, the grain left on the threshing floor. And then if the, the uh, wind, they would tr often do it in the evening when the, the wind was kind of picking up and it was nice and cool in the evening. And it would, it would, uh, they would take that fork or a shovel and it would throw it up in the air. And that which was of substance would come back down. That's your grain. That which was chaff. In other words, chaff is the, the outer husk of the grain. The wind would take it and, and move it over. You know what I'm saying? And if you didn't have a, a breeze, that's all right. You have a fan. It talks about the fan in this passage of scripture. And so you have those of substance, which is the grain, and then you have those of no substance, and that's the chaff. They look a lot alike because the chaff was the outer husk on the grain. And so if you were to look at chaff, you might think it was grain, but it has nothing on the inside. It has nothing on the inside. And so John the Baptist is saying, uh, it's, it's, time for, it's time for judgment. Now, we don't like to talk about judgment. We like to talk about grace. We like to talk about the love of God. But the fact of the matter is, we will stand before God and give account. We will stand before God and give account. Do you have anything on the inside of God? Is there any substance? Is there anything weighty on the inside? Yes, we'd love to come and, and share nice uh, little tidbit sermons of, of nice encouragement and make you feel good and warm and fuzzy. And I mean, it's Christmas time. I'm supposed to be, be feeling good and warm and fuzzy. But John the Baptist comes along and says, by the way, you need to get ready because judgment's coming. We will all stand before God and give an account to a holy and righteous God. And off all you got is good, warm and fuzzy, but got nothing on the inside of substance. Then here's what he says. He says, the winnowing fan is in his hand and he will thoroughly clean out the threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. And with many other exhortations, he preached to the people. That, that's that word encouragement. <laughs> this don't sound very encouraging, does it? Well, it does if you got, if you got substance. If you got substance and you recognize, no, I, I've had a transformation. I've been changed. I know where I stand. I, I will stand before God and he will say, come on in, child of God. Welcome into your home that I've prepared for you. Come in, you good and faithful servant, because I have been transformed by the power of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. But if you haven't, then it's time to prepare your heart to meet the Lord. 
Now, a lot of times we think that that means, oh, am I dying? <laughs> See, that's how you that's how people will say that when someone's on their deathbed. They'll tell them you need to prepare your heart to meet the Lord. You don't have to wait till you're dying before you do that. Somebody asked Billy Graham, when's the best time to get saved? He said, the day before you die. And they said, well, I don't know when I'm going to die. He said, we better do it today then. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and, and, and I love Billy Graham. Uh, I like to call him Uncle Billy. But anyway, uh, <laughs> we're, we're no blood kin as far as I know. But, but I have to disagree with him a little bit. Um, it, it's a, it was a good illustration, you know, the day before you die business. But I want to tell you, I, do, I wouldn't want to live another day not knowing my God. I'm telling you, he is so good. And to know him is to love him. And the more you know him, the more you love him. Amen. So John says uh, the time of judgment is close. And, and especially now that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, uh, you better make a decision. And verse 18, with many other words, he exhorted and preached to the people. And as I look at this passage of scripture, I have to ask us, are, are you prepared? I, and I'm not just talking about, please help me understand. Help, help understand. Help me preach this message to you. Uh, I'm not just talking about dying and going to heaven. I'm asking you, do you know that God wants to do something new and bring new life into your life right now, today? Even child of God, child of God. I'm, if you're still just resting on what God did in your life as a child, when you got saved and you've experienced nothing new since then, then I'm going to ask you something. Are you looking for anything new? Because he wants to do something new. He wants to open up your understanding and, and reveal himself to you in new and, and deeper ways. And he wants you to experience him in greater ways. But if you're not ready for it, you're not looking for it if you're not expecting it you probably won't experience it we need to prepare our hearts once you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1 Ephesians chapter 1 this this morning as I was uh, getting ready to preach this sermon I, I was reminded of Ephesians 1 Ephesians 1 uh, is so powerful I love the book of Ephesians one of my favorites Paul is talking to a people in an awesome church there in the city of Ephesus we know that these people have come out of sinful lifestyle because he says that they used to be this, this, that, and the other. And he said, but you're no longer that. You don't do those things anymore. You've been trained, changed. You've been transformed. You've been made new. You've been saved. But in chapter 1, he's, he's praying a prayer over these Christians. And so let me again come back to don't, don't think your family tree is enough that you might have a relationship with God by being God's grandchildren. He don't have grandchildren. And don't think that, that, that your religion is enough because just going through the motions of rules and repetition, that, that don't do it either. It has to be a relationship through Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who came to die on the cross for our sins, was buried in a grave, and rose again the third day. But now that this living God is working in my life, I'm, I'm knowing him in greater and deeper ways all the time. And that's the way we're supposed to. And Paul is talking to these Christians in chapter 1, verse 15. He says, Therefore, I also, after I heard your faith, heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, 
that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you, catch this, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. He's talking to Christians. He says, Christian, I pray that God reveals new things to you. Now, I want you to understand, I, I, I believe in, uh, I'm not going to use all these technical terms, but I believe this is the revealed word of God. And there's no extra revelation. There's no new revelation. So when we talk about God revealing things to you, it's not that he's going to reveal something new to you that no humanity, no, nobody else has ever heard before. Because when you get into that, you get into some heresy and some craziness and just don't, that's not what we're talking about. There's not a new revelation that God has slipped into a certain, no. But there is revelation that you don't know yet. You say, well, I've never experienced God in that way. I've never experienced God as a provider. I have. It's awesome. Uh, there was a time when I had not. And then there was a season in which I experienced him in that way. And it's amazing. You say, well, I, I, I love their testimony, but I've never experienced God as a healer. You can. You can. I've never experienced God as one who, who puts families back together. I've never ex experienced the restoration of God. You can. I've never experienced the protector, the provider. The, you can. And he wants you to know him that way. But if you're still resting on what the, your past experiences and you're not expecting anything different, then you probably won't experience anything different. And so this Christmas, I want to encourage you. Prepare, let every heart. You know that song, right? Let every heart. That's what I thought it said. Prepare him room. And we remember that that comes from the passage in, in, in the book of Luke in which, which the, uh, uh, Joseph and Mary were coming to Bethlehem and they were looking for a room, but they didn't have a room prepared for them. And because they didn't have a room prepared for them, they had to go to uh, most likely a cave or uh, 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 some, you know, we often think of barn. Where they feed the, the stuff, where, the, where they feed the, the livestock. And, and it was nasty and rough and, and, and crude. And, and, and why? No one had prepared for them. No one had prepared for them. And so if you aren't expecting, you might not experience, but if you are expecting, you will experience. You'll get what you look for. Isn't that the truth, though? It, you usually get what you're looking for. You may have came today and you were looking for a reason not to ever go to church ever again. And if you're looking for an excuse, you'll probably find one. And when you need an excuse, anyone will do. Maybe someone didn't shake your hand as they didn't see you. Or, or maybe someone uh, didn't speak to you. I've had people say, well, I'm not going to your church anymore because you didn't come shake my hand. Well, if that's all it took, then I'm sorry. I had to. <laughs> we didn't have much anyway. But anyway, uh, if you're looking to be disappointed, you'll get what you're looking for. If you were looking for an excuse, you'll get what you were looking for. If you were looking to experience God, you'll get what you were looking for. You'll get what you were looking for. Paul says this way. Let me go back to it. Verse 17. The God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may he give you to the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Y'all ever uh, come out of a, a theater at midday? Maybe the, the matinee or whatever, and it's so dark in there. And then you, you step out into like a blinding light, 
You step out and it's just like, well, it's light out there and I should be able to see. I just can't. I just can't. I got to give it a little time for my eyes to just, you know that God don't do that. He don't do that. He gives you, he gives you what you need as you need it. He turns up the lights. He turns up, you, you step, he shines the light. You step into the light, he gives more light. You step in, he is, he is giving you enlightenment. Here's what Paul prays for the church of Ephesus in verse 18. That the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. Are you experiencing the power of God? No. Well, were you expecting the power of God? Did you prepare your heart for it? Faith, Robert, is preparation, ain't it, brother? He said that a couple years ago, and I just stuck in me. Faith is preparation. Faith is preparation. We were preparing uh, 20 years ago. Our family, Christy and I, were preparing for a, a new baby boy. It wasn't just an emotional preparation. Oh, yeah, we're ready. We're ready. Are y'all ready for that boom, baby? Yeah, we're ready. We got one going to be here in a week. This, this girl looked like a, like a spaghetti noodle with a bubble in it. I mean, when you're that tall and skinny and pregnant, it's just it's like, are you even pregnant? Anyway, she, that baby's going to be here in a week. Are y'all ready for that baby? I bet they got a crib. I bet they got all the stuff. Why? Because they prepared. They, they knew this, this baby boy was coming. They don't know if it's a boy or a girl. <laughs> they knew. They knew. And, and so they prepared. Here's what John the Baptist said. Oh, the Lord's coming. The Lord's coming. Have you made preparations? Have you prepared? Have you prepared emotionally? Have you prepared intellectually? Have you like Paul, like, like John says it this way. He wanted the people to get ready by telling them that they ought to be living as if the Lord was in their midst. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that they might be looking for the Lord in their midst. Are you looking for God to do something new in you this Christmas? Because if you just think that the only way that he's worked is the way he has worked in the past, and you're not looking for anything new, you probably won't get anything new. You'll get what you expected. But if you're here today and, and you've heard this story of salvation, now, how God knew you and loved you and gave his best for you, even when you were a rebel and his enemy, and how he's calling you into relationship with you. If you've heard this and you say, I, 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 want, I want that. What you're looking for, you're going to get. What you expect, you'll experience. We're going to have an invitation here in a little bit, and, and our, our altar team is going to be down at the front, and, and, and I'm just I'm, I'm preparing your heart for this, okay? And if you're here and you don't know, you don't really know if you know the Lord. Man, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to live another Christmas without him, but I wouldn't even want to live another day without him. You can go home knowing that you know, that you know, that you know. You have a relationship with the Lord through Jesus Christ. Let's pray.
Father God, I thank you so much that you are so kind and generous you give. That you gave your only begotten Son. That whosoever believe in him will not perish but have life everlasting. And then Lord Jesus, you come along and say, I come to give life, but not just life, abundant life. Life to the fullest. Lord, I thank you for that abundant life. That the life didn't stop once it started. That the day I got salvation, I, I got all of my understanding of you that I was ever going to get. No, you continue to turn the lights up. You continue to turn the lights up. You continue to, to show more of yourself to me. To show the deeper, mysterious ways of who you are. I get to experience the new life and it's new every day. Thank you, Lord. I pray that even today there are some who, who, who came that they don't know if they have a relationship with God. That this message that they will stand before a righteous God and give account, Lord, that it has stirred their hearts. And that today they will call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. And Lord, I just know... I just know how good you are and they will live with no regret as they leave knowing you. And then for the rest of us who are Christians, Lord, that uh, maybe we were resting on what we already have experienced and aren't expecting anything new or different. Lord, I pray that you would just give us a new passion, a new desire to see you in new ways Instead of just living as if you will be who we meet when we die, may we live as one who is living out our faith in the living God and experiencing you now. I know that you want to reveal yourself in new and deeper and greater ways to everyone in this room everyone in this room. I pray that we will prepare our hearts for that. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's stand as we worship and as we worship, the altar team will be at the front and, and as they, they're down here, they, they just want to minister to you, pray with you any way that they can. And so you just uh, make your way down here. Maybe today you say, I'm, I'm uncertain about my salvation. Well, you can leave here certain. Or, I, or you might even be saying this. My salvation is so dry and, and just routine. And, and, I, and, I, and maybe I'm saved, but there, there's nothing special about this relationship with the Lord. Well, guess what? He wants to do something new and, and not just dry and routine, but life-giving and awesome in your life. And you'll get it if you're looking for it. You'll get it if you're ready for it. But probably not if you don't make any action or take any action. You just sit there with hands folded and say, well, I wish I had it. Wish I had it. Well, how about you go get it? How about you come and say, Lord, I'm looking now. 
I'm looking now. I'm, I'm ready, God. I, I wasn't looking before. I, I thought I had all I ever needed, but, but Lord, I need more of you. I need to know you in a deeper fashion. Let's not be satisfied with secondhand faith, faith of our parents, grandparents, whatever. Let us not be satisfied with our past experiences. Well, I'm perfectly content in Christ Jesus and I'm thankful for him. But I'm gonna tell you something, the more you know him, the more you want of him, amen? The more you know him, the more you want of him. And it's not that, it's not that he's holding back, it's just that you're not looking. Hadn't prepared your heart for it. So as we worship the Lord, you move. Preparation is action.